Today is Wednesday. It's 2.45 in the afternoon. And hi, wait, I got to say the date. Otherwise, I won't have my date. Today is Wednesday. It's January 24th, 20... What is... This isn't normally that hard. Take three. Is it 2024? How did that happen? Today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. That's been a very difficult fact for me to get out today. And it is now 12, now it's 246. Take four. Today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Still struggling with that at 247. This is John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thanks for finding us. Listen to me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Berg from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can get my book, The New Chicago Way, Lessons from Other Big Cities. I'm Kate Plies, former Chicago reporter and columnist, now creator of the Strange Chicago History website, Roseland, Chicago, 1972. And I'm Eric Zorn, the occupier of the of a seat on the Detroit Lions bandwagon, and also the publisher of the Picayune Sentinel weekly Substack newsletter. You think that was hard for the Tribune to swallow in their editorial today when they said, for all that we think about Detroit, it's uh, nice to see Detroit fans Getting a turn in the playoffs like this? Did you see what that? Mean, for, for all, yeah, I did see that. And for all we think about Detroit, I mean, you know, Detroit is a struggling Midwestern city that seems to be on the on the rebound, and they've never been in the Super Bowl. The team has never been in the Super Bowl, and uh, they are America's darlings right now. Didn't it and, seem um, important to their fans and their players and coaches? I mean, you know, everybody wants their team to win. Everybody's nuts for their NFL team, but that seemed to be on a whole nother scale this weekend, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's a great story. It's it's when you know this team is talk about long suffering. I mean, I know the Bills, they've what they've lost four Super Bowls and they they lost wide again right. last week with a wide right field goal again. I mean, what what the uh, shades of Scott Norwood? But the Lions are just it's a great story. It's this coach who always almost always goes for it on fourth down and and this scrappy team. And I mean, I, yeah, I'm really I'm I'm totally for them. I was able to transfer my allegiance. I grew up in the Detroit area, but I, when I the Lions were so bad that I didn't want to invest too much in them. So when I moved to Chicago, I, I pretty much switched to the Bears right away, and uh, I've never really looked back. And it, and it hasn't been a problem for the last forty years. I'm will, and then, now the Bears are are were mired in doldrums. I just switched allegiances temporarily, just like I think the paper said we should all do that. Just get on the Lions bandwagon, and then we can hop off again next year if the, if the Bears are any good. So You're comfortable with doing that. You switched your allegiance from the Cubs to the White Sox because you got mad at the Cubs. I got mad at the Ricketts family is what I got mad at. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I don't, I mean, I, this whole thing with, with marquee sports, their dedicated sports network, uh, I'm not a fan of that either. So I'm happy to be a White Sox fan, even though they're Terrible. But can you do and, that when you switch allegiances like that willy nilly? Do you really feel it in your heart? Like if you, I understand no. getting mad and not wanting to go to Cubs <laughs> games anymore, but do you love the White Sox? No, 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 no I don't. The no. White Sox now, it's, it's, it's difficult. It really is. Yeah. Um, but uh, was well, there a part I'm, of you that longs for the Cubs experience? You want to go there? You want to be part of that scene? But now you've drawn this line in the sand? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I admit it. the only thing that's changed is the geography. 
But that's something. I mean, if that's your dollars, uh, that's that matters, right? You're voting with your pocketbook. Well, a little bit. I don't go that many games. Okay, I, so really, you haven't done but, a damn thing then about this. <laughs> but I may go to more if they if they move to the seventy eight. So we can oh, talk yeah. about that later if you want. And their business practices would be more Cubs like if they were to do that, right? Because the idea is they would own sort of the entire neighborhood and to dictate the development of that. Is that a bad thing, Austin? No, I think that's great. As long as they're not getting a ton of taxpayer money to to do that as a bajillion dollar corporation, that would be awesome to actually have something there versus a vacant lot. The Ricketts developed the neighborhood around Wrigley Field. They put up a hotel complex. They put up businesses. They revitalized that neighborhood. I don't know that revitalized is the right word, but they spent a lot of their own money to make that neighborhood better. It's a much better experience around Wrigley Field, and that's because not the city council helped them out. They were a poke in the eye, but the Ricketts spent, what was the number? Was it 60 or was it like $600 million? They just put a zillion, I think it was a zillion. They put a zillion dollars into that thing. If uh, Reinsdorf wants to spend his own money and move the White Sox a little further north, amen to that, says me. Eric, Eric, is that where you are going to be on that yeah. when we talk about that? Yeah, I like it. I, when, when we talk about it, when we get back and re- repeat <laughs> are ourselves. Are we talking about it now? I, we're talking now? about talking about it. When we talk about it, I will say that <laughs> I, I, I sort of was thinking that the Bears might be a better fit for that space. Uh, because if they don't get – I don't know where else you're going to put a major football stadium in the city. And and uh, I also don't know what you're going to do with – with um, what's a guaranteed rate field now. I, I don't know what you're going to do with that. What would be a, a, a real white elephant there right along the, the Dan Ryan. Um, I'm sorry. The, yeah, the Dan Ryan. Dan Ryan um, yeah. yeah uh, and uh, a pink elephant. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, I just don't know what's going to happen with that. I, I would, I guess rather the white Sox stay where they are. Um, but that doesn't seem like, they they love I mean, the thing. They built that stadium in, in 1990, right? I mean, this thing's it's only 30 years old. That's old and by stadium a, standards. It's mm-hmm. obscene to tear it down, and, okay. and, and and they'll never fill it with the fire or any other you know uh, team like that. Okay, so. but there is. I, I I don't think this is the reason why you you don't move them. But I we'll get to that when we get to that. Let's get to this. You ready? Okay. How very Chicago of the Chicago City Council or its mayor to take on the task of not allowing gas service for new construction in the city. We'll have electric stoves and dryers and water heaters and furnaces in the future. They will take the place of their natural gas counterparts if the mayor and some members of the city council have their way. Not everybody supports the idea, at least not yet. It will be better for the environment, we're told, and may even be better for consumers. And I'm sure there are good answers to all of the what-ifs, like, well, what if the power goes out and you don't have electricity? Or what if ComEd can't keep up with the demand? Or what if this creates an even bigger monopoly? Do we trust ComEd all that much now anyway? And, and what if I just don't want to do it? Well, from what I know, yes, I think it's a good idea, but I don't know enough to be really solid on that. I don't. I've seen conflicting reports about about the the cost savings. I mean, I saw I saw in the news article that that the Natural Gas Council was saying this is going to cost consumers money, and then the people who are proposing and saying this is going to save thousands of dollars for consumers. I don't know which is true, uh, and I don't know if that's really the the, the important thing here. I have gas service in my house here in Chicago, and I like it, 
but I'm not going to curl into a fetal ball and be aggrieved if a if I have to end up moving to a place that has a has an electric stove. The only that's the only real difference to me. Um, they say, what if the power goes out? Well, if the power goes out, and we've experienced that here. My furnace won't start. My furnace is, it has uh, electrical ignition and stuff. My, you know, my furnace is, although it's a gas furnace, it's I can't, I'm not going to take a, uh, a match down there and get it going. And my and my water heater, all those things are are powered, so it's not it's not going to uh, work anyway. So I, I think it's if if it's environmentally solid, then yeah, I think it's a good idea. I I love the idea of doing it. I'm sure we all do. There's no climate deniers among us, and I I doubt there's very many climate deniers even in the city. Um, but I do feel like they're kind of going at this backwards. They're introducing legislation to do this before exploring it, it seems like to me. I mean, yes, I I know that New York already put this in place. New York put it in place in 2021. But no one knows how it's affecting New York because it didn't go into effect in New York until literally last month. So none of that really makes any difference. Um, I feel like they're talking about we'll hold some hearings and we'll look into it after we pass this ordinance. And that to me makes me feel like it's not a good faith effort to get objective answers. It sounds like a political effort to just look good, uh, look progressive and slam it through without truly knowing what the costs are and if our electrical grid can ultimately handle the elect- extra electricity in the end, which is which are the questions that need to be answered. And I don't get why they're not answering those questions first. It's a much bigger shift than I think is being presented to people. So in theory, it sounds like, oh, well, what's the big deal? New thing, new, new construction has to have this. Eight in 10 homes in Illinois are heated by natural gas. So it's the main way that we power our homes in the state. And changing this, it's like, okay, well, if it's just new construction, we'll phase it in. But the question is, where are we going to get the resources to meet the spike in demand for electricity? Where does electricity come from in Illinois? Well, it comes from nuclear, which is awesome. We should have more nuclear. It comes from coal, It comes from gas, not natural gas, just gas. And then it comes from renewables. I think when people are discussing this, they're like, yeah, we'll just put it on electric and then that'll be great. It's all renewables. No, it's not all renewables. That's a very small part of where electricity comes from. It's getting bigger, but it's not like this is a one-to-one, like we go from something dirty to something clean. It's much more complicated than that. And I think that is entirely lost on most members of the city council who would vote on this, who are doing it for for ideological reasons. I was told that we get most of our electricity from nuclear, though, in Illinois. Is that not the case? I did look it up. And according to the U.S. Energy Information Agency, the latest numbers were from 2022. And at that point, and I'm not seeing any reason to think it's shifted drastically since then, it was 52 percent nuclear 21% 21% coal, 13% natural gas, 12% wind, only 2% other renewables. And the important thing to me about that was that it was 21% coal, right? That was down from 41% over the previous 10 years. But 
to bring the coal down, natural gas got doubled. And mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about phasing out here. And that's but a good trade. I'm not hearing right. that we've got a bunch of new nuclear plants. But better natural out. gas than coal. Yeah, totally. That's oh, a good absolutely. Trade. Absolutely. But we're talking about phasing out this natural gas. And I'm not hearing about any new nuclear plants going up oh. to take the place. And now in 2016... We passed, Illinois also passed a law that was supposed to bring us up to 25% renewables by next year. And instead, we're at 14. 14%. So, you know, we can set these deadlines for ourselves. And I, you know, I get that. Deadlines work for me, too. I set myself a deadline, and then maybe I will actually do it. And I won't do it without that deadline. So, uh, you know, I get that general idea. But in, in, in the case of something this important, where if we literally force a huge amount of construction over many years to only be electric, and we are not actually keeping up with increasing nuclear power or actually fixing our electric grid... That could have some much worse repercussions than me not finishing something that I said I would do by Saturday. Right, and and the question is, if we end up burning more coal, I mean, it right. may it may the percentage may remain the same, but our electricity demands will continue to ramp up. And right. I guess the idea is that that the demand will ramp up as our renewable reliance gets better or renewable energy gets better. But it's it's one of these things where I don't necessarily believe. When people say, oh, this is going to be good for the environment, I, I, I say, well, show me, prove this to me. I want to know about it. And it reminds me a little bit, and it's a little off topic, but the city council has also has now been mulling over this idea of every, of everybody getting their sidewalks cleared by the city. That this is a plan that was in Mayor Johnson's transition report, and it's been floated. That's in why I voted council. for him. Yep. Got, and they've got a, they've got a, uh, a pilot project that's going to start uh, next winter, not this winter, next winter. But everywhere I look, I'm like, I want to know what's this going to cost? And they say, oh, they do it in Montreal. And Montreal spends, you know, I think, was it $200 million a year on snow removal? And, and that's it's a city that's about half the size of Chicago. And I just don't, I don't know what, and, and everybody just seems to be like, oh, this is such a nice idea. We'll have the city clear, clear your sidewalks so the disabled people can get around, which is a great idea, right? Again, it's one of these things like, yeah, I'd like to see sidewalks cleared so people who have mobility issues can get around. That's a good thing. But w- what are we going to give up if we're going to have the city shoveling our sidewalks for us? Or are we just going to, is it going to just be cash out of our pockets or is it going to be some other program that we like? And and th- none of these details, the city council doesn't seem to be very vested in details when they talk about these things. And, and maybe I'm missing the uh, backroom conversations, but but geez, I'd, I'd like to know more before I get behind an idea or, or whittle on it. We've seen actually what happens in a place that stops using a very reliable, efficient source of energy. uh, And that would be Germany when they were shutting down nuclear plants. And what ended up happening is like, in theory, they're like, we need to transition to renewables. We need to do this faster. But when that spike happens, you need reliable, proven energy sources that are already built in there. And they just ended up burning way more coal. Uh So um, everybody's point is correct, where it's in theory, this seems great. If you wanted to phase this in, you could do something like say, Hey, you get a tax credit if you 
build a building that doesn't have natural gas in it. Like we do for cars. You could subsidize it a little bit. And they're doing instead this ham-fisted ban approach. Well, what is – define renewables for the purposes of this conversation. Wind and solar. But we Um, already – so when we said wind was 12 percent, right, Kate? You had that graph in front of you. 12 percent you said was wind and 2 percent – I guess was solar, so that gets us to the fourteen percent. What about little hamsters on wheels and so on? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I'll take on that second task though, Eric. I think that at a neighborhood level, you could find a way to get the sidewalks cleared. To me, that does not have to be real expensive. You could do it expensively, but it seems to me like you could be creative and get the sidewalks shoveled. And I do think we should. I think it's terrible how Chicago handles the roads. And they don't even think about the sidewalks. And sidewalks are traveled on by a lot of people, disabled or otherwise. The but when you say neighborhood, what do you mean? Do you mean, John, that the city would not be in charge of it, but neighborhoods would somehow get together? I'm thinking of the 50. How many neighborhoods do we have in Chicago? 50, something like that? What's the number? Well, 50? well 77, right? I mean, that's 77. How many areas? How many wards do we have? 50. 50. So one of those groups, I think it should be at that level, your ward or your neighborhood will adopt your sidewalks and maybe we'll subsidize it a little bit. We'll throw in some cash. Maybe your neighborhood or ward is very volunteer centric and you guys are going to get it done that way. Or maybe other people are going to hire contractors out. Maybe you'll get the people from Venezuela to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but it just seems to me like it's so rudimentary about five or ten times a year. That's it. We need somebody to push ice and snow off the sidewalk. I think the only five to ten times a year is part of what makes it so difficult. I mean, I, I know it is in terms of just being in a condo association and from when I was on the board looking into getting our snow removal done, that's what makes it so tough is that it's so hard to predict. Right. But they, but, so you don't need and, full-time employees, Kate. You just need, you need Mr. Winkler. You guys don't have a Mr. Winkler? He's the guy on my old block no. and he would get his little tractor out or his snowblower and he'd go up and down the sidewalk and do it. Let's incentivize the Mr. Winklers of all of the neighborhoods or wards. And I'm, I'm not, I haven't got all the details on this, but it seems to You me- and the city council. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I, I like that they're taking it on. There's yeah. something there's something to the idea of of buy, instead of hiring all these people and maybe and having to buy all these little cat devices to remove the snow from the sidewalks that you just uh, buy and I mean there're like 7000 miles of sidewalk in Chicago it's some incredible amount it's like from here to New Delhi right this is Eric looked it up he, that's actually he's yeah. not making this up No I'm not making it up and uh-huh. and but so so let's say you buy 7000 snowblowers good snowblowers and give them out to people on various blocks and and that the is deal a is terrible that we're going to give, we're oh, give you a snowblower and 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 in return you're going to walk around the block after a snowstorm and clear the snow no it's not going to work i know it, but is it is it any worse than the idea of trying to hire a whole bunch of emergency workers after a blizzard and get them to clear the sidewalks in it i think what we should do is put in 7000 miles of heated sidewalks <laughs> that'll be with renewal Heat, no mm-hmm. gas, geothermal, and that takes Dig care up all of this. Uh, uh, Holland, Holland, Michigan nearby has heated sidewalks, yes, and it's they downtown, do. and it's very, very nice. And I think, John, in terms of your messaging, you need to go to the city council with the plan, and you go and you say, "I know you guys are talking about summer jobs for youth. 
I'm the only guy talking about the winter jobs. For yes. Years. Yes. Work. Oh my God. Winter. But I, I think honestly, the real impediment to doing that is going to be the unions in charge of doing snow removal. And they're going to want a piece of whatever that is. And I think a volunteer approach sounds great and not that hard to coordinate. And I also think there are many, if you guys have ever seen, usually for some reason, they spend the money usually on bicycle racks or like planters. They're called special service areas, SSAs, where all the businesses on the street will like contribute more property taxes to do nice stuff. And I think those pay for a lot of sidewalk clearing too. So there might be a model there. Rom did tried to do a volunteer sidewalk shoveling thing and they had to fold it because there were not enough volunteers. Go back for a second, though, to the city council taking up the task of saying that new construction should not have natural gas appliances, etc. I was kind of mortified at the idea of having to give up a gas range. Not that, again, my old house would have to be retrofitted, but it just seems to me like who wants an electric range? And I'm hearing that the appliances, the furnaces, all of those things are pretty dang good. They are efficient and they're um, economical and uh, you won't notice the difference when warm air comes out the vent in your house. So it's it's all good. Even the stovetops are much better than you may remember them if you had an electric range way back in the day. But, you know, I think some of the pushback I was hearing on the radio today was from people just going, leave me alone. You know, it's my house, Chicago. Damn it. If I want to build a house this way, I'm going to build a house this way. Uh, why are you guys sticking your nose in The county didn't want me to have large sodas. You know, it's just like every little facet of our lives. Chicago will find a way to tell you how to live it better. Uh, Aren't you aren't you not reminded of the the low flush, uh, low flow toilets that were mandated and the uh, and the uh, non-filament light bulbs that were mandated that people were really outraged by that. Um, People were outraged about seatbelt requirements and cars. I mean, every change like this that that probably is for the the general good uh, gets people who say, like, I want to do this and leave me alone. And that's that's part of the tension in in governance and progress. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I think I I just put in a new shower head and I had the plumber first take out the little thing in it that restricted the 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 flow. So now you're getting more. I like to have water come out of the shower head so that it actually works. You are a terrible person. And someday, when our grandkids have no water to drink, well, they're going to say, well, there's this lady named Kay Plies. But that, and to be, yeah. to be honest with you, animating this whole thing is the environment. This is about global warming. It's about climate change. Then, yeah, there's going to have to be some uncomfortable moments for us if we're going to make a change. We're all kind of high and mighty, I think, about some of these issues in Chicago. But what are we doing about it? Well, here's something we can do about it. I just haven't seen, so seatbelts, for example, immediately off the bat, you're saving hundreds of thousands of lives a year, right? Very clear benefit. Uh, for this, the actual effect on emissions of this is, to, from what I've seen, negligible to completely unclear because it might be uh, offset by what we're else we're doing with energy. So we're causing all this, like we're sucking up all the oxygen in the room talking about making this change. This is also going to be, you know, more costly for developers to do this when it's already extremely costly to build new housing in Chicago. What, why do you say it's more costly for developers? They've got to put in a stove. They've got to put in wiring 
Well, why is it more costly? I, I'm, 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 I just don't know yeah. why that would be. I, I, just the uh, equipment that you need, the upfront cost of buying this equipment versus natural gas, I've seen is more expensive. It might That might not be the case. You're talking about appliances and things like that, right, Austin? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like a, a brand new um, nice electric stove versus something more traditional that's using natural gas. Yeah. Uh, more expensive. But it's, it's another sort of... Uh, we're not focusing on education. We're not focusing on public safety. We're not focusing on the business climate. These really important things that really dictate the day-to-day quality of life for residents of Chicago. Instead, we're talking about something that, to me, has a very unclear benefit, but a quite clear cost. I agree, John. I wish that we could do this. We absolutely, even though I prefer a gas range, I would, in a minute, switch to the electric if I thought it was going to actually make a difference. But we don't know that that infrastructure is going to be in place to make this actually make a difference as opposed to being political grandstanding that actually gets us in a position where we're using more coal, for instance, than natural gas and actually causing more pollution or having the electrical grid break down. So that's really completely unclear right now, which is why I don't understand why we're passing legislation first before figuring that out. That's because it's far easier as cost to do. Is concerned, yeah. I don't really know, but I did notice that about the New York City ordinance that they have all they have all the exceptions in their ordinance that Chicago is putting into theirs. But one thing I noticed that was different in the New York ordinance was mm. that they included as an exception any residential buildings that had half affordable housing. Now, if you think going all electric is cheaper or at least cost neutral, why are you exempting that for affordable housing? That doesn't make sense to me. The same way the city wants you to make your your new house EV compatible, but we don't have the infrastructure for electric cars completely done yet, and yet we're talking about that. This this seems to sort of lean in that same direction. Well, and, and that could end up putting even a bigger strain on the electric grid. We asked ComEd to come on and talk about this. They didn't want to talk about this, uh, but they did issue a statement, and it said, we'll be ready. We <laughs> we are hell's bells happy about this. Hell's bells was not in the press release, but they didn't seem to mind the idea that they would be the sole energy provider for Chicago, which is incredible. Is, is, that that. A, is that a red flag? I mean, what should we think about that? I've been working on more energy policy related stuff in a bunch of states, and it has opened my eyes to the fact that there is no more powerful interest group in state legislatures, nowhere even close to utility companies. And it's because they're basically the government. Their entire business model is dependent on the actions of lawmakers. And the way that the prices of these things are set is this very sort of complex Soviet style thing called a rate case where they come with like a 5,000 page report and they're like, here's all the stuff we did. We need you guys to approve this. This is what everything costs. And then only people who understand this 5,000 page document, whether it's like environmental activists or people on whatever utility board, they're the only people who understand it. And it's really, we really need more competition in energy. So one very interesting thing I've been learning about about recently is a technology called community solar, 
which is basically saying uh, I can subscribe to solar energy and someone who puts their solar, puts solar arrays on their roof or something can sell that energy kind of locally. Uh, and that's there's a huge pushback against that in a lot of states because the utilities don't want to have that kind of pricing competition. So uh, energy is very complicated, but I think two very clear things in Illinois. Nuclear energy would be great. We should have more of that. It's proven. And then also you, you need more competition from other players. Chicago has a lot of rats, and it looks like a few years ago, one of them got steamrolled into fresh pavement. The image of the splattered critter, it's probably a squirrel, has become a talking point and a tourist destination, even a wedding site, and now a flashpoint in Chicago. Did someone try and fill in that rat-shaped hole? Local residents are asking for their anonymity back. Hey, TV trucks, go away. We want our street back. I've thought this thing was funny. I wouldn't drive across town to go look at it. I don't live there, no. I don't know how much of an inconvenience it is, but some of those neighbors are now posting online saying, please, people, go away. Uh, what 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 has um, impressed you with this conversation or this story this week? It's getting national exposure, by the way. I mean, international. It's, international. It's, it's, isn't it funny how sometimes the littlest things can, that thing's been there for years. And it's just started, I mean, the thing's been there for, I think, a couple decades, and it started on January 6th with a tweet of some guy with about, I think it was like four or 5,000 followers posted this picture saying, thought I'd pay a visit to the Chicago rat hole, and suddenly it's just taken off and gone totally viral. Um, I just wanted to read to you a little bit from this Reddit posting from one of the neighbors, yeah. and this is the things they're complaining about. Here we go. Garbage garbage piling up, including vape, cigarettes, alcohol, and food by the, by the whole vandalism. People partying outside the house, doing shots, pouring alcohol on the sidewalk, leaving empty liquor bottles in the parkway, cars honking as they drive by, people filming videos to promote things, uh, reporters waiting outside their house and trying to interview them when they got out, the mail carrier skipping their house due to crowds and news crews, street parking going away, and people doing weird-ass rituals like prayer circles and chants. And this is just a, as some of the complaints that they're, that they're posting. My view of this is that it's I'm sure really annoying, and I don't live there, so I can I can maybe be a little bit more indulgent of all this to do. I think it's going to go away quickly. I think we're going to get tired of it. It's not that interesting. <laughs> and give it a month, and people will be like, oh, yeah, that, it's kind of like the uh, the Our Lady of the Underpass uh, thing, where the people would go, and, and uh, there's this water stain at, at Fullerton and the uh, Kennedy, and people would go and look at this thing for a while, and then and there were flowers in a shrine, and then ultimately it's just, you know, people went away, and then, you know, the, the next new shiny thing drew their attention, and so I would think everyone should just take a deep breath. I did see, though, that the uh, that the alderman, uh, Wagaspak, says that he is thinking seriously about just pulling that piece of pavement out and replacing it with uh, with fresh pavement. So I knew it had blown up because a friend of my wife and I uh, texted us. She lives in Brooklyn, has lived in New York, in New Jersey her entire life. And she said, I have to know, have you seen the rat hole? <laughs> and I don't know what, I, when I first moved to Chicago, I didn't live far from there. It's on Damon and Roscoe or thereabouts in Roscoe Village. And I would walk past it all the time because I bought, there's a great Roscoe Village bikes is right there. And I would go there to get my bike fixed all the time. And uh, I, I, I sort of noted it, but I didn't think it was that interesting. <laughs> I, like it didn't seem that, 
maybe it's I was desensitized to that, but I guess it's like the craziest thing anyone's ever seen. And I agree with Eric that I feel like maybe I mean, if there's like maybe every year, once a year on January 6th, people go and like pay respects to the rat hole or something. But other than that, I can't imagine it being like the bean of the north side. January 6th is already taken by the insurrection. I mean, get, <laughs> right. Give the rat another date. Gosh, I do feel sorry for those neighbors. I feel but sorry I, for the rat. I, yeah. Aww. Although apparently some people think that it could just as well have been a squirrel. squirrel. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, to be honest with you, I have questioned all along because the left arm of the thing is so perfectly cast. I've often wondered and by that I mean for the last couple of days, about the authenticity of the thing. It looks yeah. faked to me. Austin, you lived in that neighborhood. Your thoughts go. Uh, it could be fake. This could be a whole big uh, kayfabe, like a, like a conspiracy, some weird performance art that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. We won't understand for many years. <laughs> it does remind me kind of a – do you guys remember the guy who would do the mosaics and the potholes? Yeah. That yeah. so cool. Like I love that. Um Maybe someone could. What if they just filled it up as a mosaic? That would be nice. That would look cool. I guess so. Oh, well, I thought somebody people. wasn't somebody going to fill it in. Maybe one of the neighbors did, and then it got dug back out. But um, the uh, alderman yes. in that area also said that if they cut it out, maybe they could sell it or auction it off for charity. But you know, the only reason I would even care about it sometimes is I do care about what the rest of the world thinks about Chicago, and this is. Not the kind of advertising our town needs. There's been some interesting conversations about the fact that rats get a bad rap. That people who have rats as pets say they're loving and friendly and and that uh, this idea that all rats are dirty and nasty and dangerous is, is bad. So maybe this is good for the rat population, too. Good time to go back and watch Ben. Starring Michael Jackson. You guys remember or, that movie? Mm-hmm. Ben Moser. Or, or Ratatouille. Right? <laughs> it may be better that, yeah. Which yeah. which reminds me that uh, Mark Caro, the uh, former Tribune entertainment writer and now podcaster, uh, came up with the name Splatatouille, which won the uh, contest for yeah. naming the rat hole. So, yeah. I'm sorry because the, my idea was uh, Splat Hughes in honor of Pat Hughes, the broadcaster. And that's more Chicago-centric than Splatatouille. But uh, that never seemed to gain any traction. So Nikki Haley is now the only Republican candidate vying for the nomination against Donald Trump. And he handily beat her in New Hampshire. And is she going to be a candidate after the South Carolina primary, guys? I think Nikki Haley is, is done. And... Trump is going to be the nominee, barring some uh, unforeseen development. And uh, it's interesting that she's sticking around. I, I feel like she's, in the last couple of days, has blown her chance to be the vice presidential nominee, that the way she has criticized Trump, and, the, and it seems like it's getting really personal between them, has meant that he's going to go in a different direction. I, she I was has soft-pedaled sure her criticism of him until she, the very end. And until she was, now, yeah, yeah, okay. Go ahead. I, I shouldn't cut you off, no. Eric. But I no, that's no, no. I you cut me off all you want. It's it, but but I just I just feel like she's done. That that uh, she needed to win. I think yesterday in order to to really have a shot. Because she's not going to win South Carolina. I know it's her home state, but that's a really deep red state. And Trump did really really well among Republicans. There was a lot of independent votes, and the independent vote yesterday in New Hampshire went. Uh, I think went for Haley or was was much more strong for Haley. The the 
actual registered Republicans who voted. I think we're like something like 85 percent. 75 percent, I saw, of registered Republicans. Um, huge, uh, huge margin on Republicans. And and so she's not going to win South Carolina. And she's not going to win Super Tuesday. She's not even on the ballot in, in Nevada. So uh, I, I think that uh, she is – I don't know exactly what her – long game is here maybe it's just she wants to get her face out there she wants to put herself in position to run in 2028 uh but uh i think uh now's the time that she's gonna have to realize that that it's over she's run a good campaign i think it's too bad that she's running against donald trump she's- i don't think she has i don't think she did run a good campaign I, I think she made a mistake not trying to get some of that free air time with it maybe a debate with desantis last week and she wasn't really on the ground much in new hampshire as she needed to be. I heard some people saying that if she had been in New Hampshire, the, the Nikki Haley they saw in New Hampshire in the last few days, if they'd seen her for a month, she might have won yesterday. So. I've heard that she didn't have the ground game that, say, John McCain did when he went there years ago, that he was everywhere. He'd listen to everybody. She pops into a diner, answers a few questions, pops out. But I guess what I meant when I said that was, Eric, that I thought she was the candidate I could most likely vote for among the Republicans who were running. She's she's not wackadoodle, and she wasn't you know kneeling at the altar of Donald Trump. So, but she wasn't incendiary either. I, she was a reasonable, somewhat boring conservative person. Hooray for that! I liked that about her. So, how much can we extrapolate from this into the general election? Something, anything, very little, a lot. Some of the interesting things you would see out of New Hampshire, for example, is that there is a not large but significant share of Republican voters who won't vote for Trump, even if it's Trump Biden. And that, I think, has been what it's revealed more than anything. Uh, And I think a lot of Nikki Haley's vote share from here on out will just be Republicans who aren't necessarily enamored with Nikki Haley, but don't want to vote for Trump. Now, it's a it's a minority of the party, to be sure. Um, It's small, but those margins really, really matter um, in the general election. So that that's one lesson, I think. What was the number? Was it fifty nine forty one? Margin of victory for Trump? I yeah. thought it was 11 points. 54-43. 54-43, Pete said. I guess what I'm trying to recall here is somebody said that, put another way, in the Republican primary, uh, four out of ten Republicans or people voting in the Republican primary there said they don't want Donald Trump. But again, that could have been Democrats, surely independents as well. I wish she would stay in is all I can say. It's just a wish. I wish she would. As long as she's got money, she's got you know, nothing else going on right now because this is her job right now. I wish she would stay in because um, she is, I wouldn't vote for her anyway, but she is the least scary of the Republican candidates. And it would be nice to think that there was some outside chance of the Republican candidate being non-scary. And (laughs) it's just that Trump is going to win, but it's just that, you know, things can happen. Both he and Biden are are elderly. But I like what you're saying. I mean, that she's, if nothing else, it postpones the inevitable. The longer she's part yeah. of the conversation, we're hearing a reasonable sounding conservative woman who was a UN ambassador uh, talk about her vision of America or whatever. You know, otherwise, Trump gets the, the microphone all the time. It's an interesting consideration, though, isn't it? Because Because clearly, to my mind, Haley is a more formidable candidate against Biden than Trump is. that I believe that Trump 
wants badly to run again. I mean, sorry, that Biden wants to run against Trump. I think mm-hmm. that that's his dream. That that it may be that that Trump is the only Republican he can beat out of that field. That uh, that he that Trump is is just crazy enough, just off putting enough that people are going to go. Well, I don't love Joe, and he's old, but uh, I, I'm gonna I got to vote for him, or I'm going to sit this one out and, and not vote for Trump this time. So you know, I think that's why. You saw the Biden campaign coming out and saying, well, the primary season's over. The the fall matchup is set. Here we go. Because I think they want to start attacking Trump, going after Trump, having their whole campaign based yeah. on Trump now. They don't want to have to wait around and see if Nikki Haley shows up. That was her and, soundbite you know, last night. She said the worst kept secret or the best kept secret in Washington is that Democrats want Donald Trump to win. They think they have a better chance of beating him than Nikki Haley. You've been saying yeah. that all along, Eric. But, you know, I thought that back in 2016, too. I thought it was really cool that Trump was winning these primaries because I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win win all 50 states in the District of Columbia because Trump was clearly unacceptable as a president. But I was clearly wrong about that. And and uh, I would hate to – I mean, I would rather – I would rather take a chance with Haley, uh, even though I think she might well beat Biden. Then, uh, I mean, I, I would rather have a Haley presidency than a Trump presidency yeah. by mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And and um, so it's just it's a tough thing to know what to think. It's tough to know what to root for. But but uh, I, I do think that Trump is going to. He seems to be increasingly addled. He's be saying strange things, uh, like this business where he's confusing Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley and. Yeah. He, it doesn't seem to know where Erdogan uh, is uh, is in charge, and he doesn't seem to know uh, whether we've had World War II yet or not. And and he, can, he seems to also sometimes think he's running against Barack Obama, and he slurs his words, and he seems to get lost in these sentences. I, I mean, he's, he does – he is showing some signs of, of I don't know, decompensating or something like that. That's really taking the, the air out of this argument that Joe Biden is senescent. Oh, well, Joe Biden isn't. But if you were just judging these two guys, boy, it's hard to be sort of independent of our own biases. But if you were just judging these guys on their mental acuity, on their whatever that means, who would you say presents better? I would say Trump shows more energy. He just has more – he has got more more energy to him. But as as far as acuity – I, I would go with Biden. I think Biden knows what he's talking about. Uh, he doesn't always express himself that well, and he has a stammer problem that he's had for a long time. But Trump is still I, funny. I would, Trump is still energetic. Trump is every bit as physically capable of walking to and from a microphone, which is all we see Joe Biden do, as Joe Biden is. It just seems to me like the whole physical and mental package, Trump presents as well or better than Joe Biden. I don't know what's that worth. I don't even know why I'm bringing that up now. Right now, he does present better just in general because of the energy, if nothing else. Um, But I think the important point for both of them is that they're both in a range where literally anything could happen at any time. I mean, any of us who has experience with elderly people know that they can be on a downslide for a while like both of these guys seem to be, and that can just go very slowly for a while, and then it can just change like that. So literally either one of them could become clearly incapable of running before the end of this race. The words coming out of Trump's mouth are loony. 
I mean, I, I, I will give you that. He's just doing a better job of presenting them, and it doesn't seem to matter to his detractors. That's exactly. the hell of it. He can yeah. confuse Nancy Pelosi with Nikki Haley, and n- nobody seems to care. His detractors are, are uh, appalled by it. His supporters don't seem to care, though. That's that's what's bizarre to me, is that you would, you would think that people would be would seeing this and thinking, you know, maybe we can do better than this. People, Republicans who are interested in preserving the Republican Party, advancing Republican ideals, get, keeping Republican control of the House and Senate and the White House, that you think they would think like, this may, this guy's a loser. He's lost every election since 2016. Uh, you know, the under Trump or, or the, the party of Trump has not been doing well. And and uh, I, I would imagine that I, I mean, it's, it's baffling to me that Republicans aren't thinking a little bit more strategically about about this fall. Don't you think if you had to guess right now who would win the next election, it would be Donald Trump over Joe Biden? Is, would you guess that right now, Eric? No. You think he'll win? How about you, Austin? I think Biden will. I hate this question, by the way. What do you think? Uh, who would win based on your gut right now? Austin's closing his eyes. Biden. Biden. Kate? Uh, let me put on my Johnny Carson hat here. <laughs> yes, Carson. But it's going to be. I, I'm sorry. It's 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 Trump. It's absolutely Trump. And and I I'm not at all surprised that the Republicans are roundly getting behind him because they're they're thinking strategically, but they're thinking strategically about themselves, each individually. What works for me personally? I'm more likely to get reelected, I'm more likely to not be attacked by other Republicans if I just keep up saying Trump's okay. Yeah, sure. Play it safe. Do you all think that the uh, criminal indictments against the former president are going to be a factor? There was some polling that said that some significant percentage, maybe even 50 percent of Republicans thought that it would be disqualifying or or a significant negative if he were convicted in, in a criminal trial. Well, whether he should be the least fit to be president. Imagine that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, th- I know that he's going to be bleeding all the time about what a martyr he is and how these are political uh, prosecutions. But if he is convicted in one of these serious felony cases, I think that that's a fatal blow to his to his campaign. Really? I just don't, I, I, really? Mean, I have, yes. Yeah, I do. I do think that. Austin, I, I think do you think so? Are, yeah, I think there's a there's a non there, there again. It's like these people. There are some Republican voters who just aren't going to vote for Trump. I do think there are some Republican voters who will not vote for someone convicted of a felony. It's just funny because he seems to have sort of poison the well. No matter what happens, a, a, a possible conviction of him has already been baked into his popularity among. I, I guess I'm talking about his base again, though, and not those people who might be swayed otherwise. How many times have we said that before, though? Like, this is a deal breaker. He made fun of the handicapped. No, that's no. that's not a deal. He he made fun of John McCain for being a prisoner. No, that didn't kill him. I mean, the 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 uh, the Access Hollywood tape. No, that didn't kill him. So you know, you could be right that this, his support is just unwavering. But uh, but I, I mean, it, as as Austin points out. This is going to be an election fought on the margins. It's going to be, you know, the, these independent voters as sort of middle in the, between the forty-five yard lines, right? It, it, people who are like, you know, they they don't love Biden, but they 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 don't like the chaos associated with Trump, and something is going to tip them one way or the other. And I think a conviction might tip those people and and might give give Biden the votes that he needs. I, I, I mean, I think that it will. And I also think that Biden's campaign has been lackluster now, but it, it's still just january 
And most people are not paying attention to this election yet. Most people are not paying attention yeah. to the issues. Some of these, these things are saying like, oh, the U.S. is, uh, you know, energy production has lagged under Biden. Well, that's just completely not true. But they're, they're, they're offering these lies and they're not being adequately countered. Uh, but the Democrats are going to get their machine in gear and they're going to get their message out. They're going to have a lot of money. And I think that the shape of this race and the polling in this race is going to be going to be a lot look a lot different as the uh, as we move into Labor Day and beyond. One thing that's bothered me about the coverage is how much of it has been about the horse race and not the issues. It's just been who's up, who's polling well. Can this person beat that person? But I haven't heard a lot of conversation about what four more years would mean if Joe Biden were reelected or four more years if Donald Trump was. Like, so then what would happen to our world? What would happen to the economy? I continue to think the reporting about the economy has been pretty one-sided and lazy, that most of the economic indicators are trending very positively. And while the consumer price uh, consumer sentiment has gone up a lot. It's still amazing how hard it is for Joe Biden and the Democrats to sell the good economic times we're having. Uh, one other note about that. Mike Miller, who is a former DePaul professor of economics, was on with us the other day. He's still teaching, but not at DePaul anymore. But he said that he thinks there's a little bit of a lag time between these things happening and then them people feeling them and then appreciating them maybe even noticing them at the grocery store, although that's maybe going to be the last place. But he thinks that interest rates coming down, houses becoming more affordable, the economy getting even better, and maybe it not being so painful at the grocery store will really be a, a, a daily factor for people in the latter half of the year, which would bode well, you would think, for Joe Biden. Well, I, mean, there was, I think it's a recent polling showing the consumer confidence levels are up. You know, that sort of vague measurement that, that pollsters take that tells you that people are feeling better about the economy, which is terrible news for Trump. An issue that may end up being uh, is, is still a real problem for the Democrats is the border, southern border. There seems to be no real movement in Congress to come to any kind of compromise or come to any kind of plan. But they are hammering Biden on the border like you wouldn't believe. And that issue resonates all over the country. Yeah. So well, including here. Um, yeah. So, so uh, well, I mean, it, it, in places that don't even see immigration, particularly, they, they just feel like, you know, this is this is outrageous. We don't have borders. I'm blaming Joe Biden. And and, uh, you know, that, that issue is going to have some salience. I think the abortion issue is going to have salience on the other side. Um, and you're right. We haven't really been engaging in the, in those issues. The campaign is is just getting underway. I don't think we'll go beyond any issues except for Biden hammering, I'm going to protect democracy and protect choice. And Trump will say, I'm going to close down the border and bring our economy back to what it was when I was president. And I don't think beyond that, I doubt we will get into We're not going to get into gas stove bans. We're not going to get into <laughs> hole policies. Uh, it will be those two things. And Eric's totally right. There was a really interesting poll recently in the congressional race between uh, Darren Bailey and Mike Bost in Southern Illinois. And the number one issue by far with the Republican electorate was immigration. It was like 60 percent or 60 plus percent was their number one issue. And I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine there are a lot of Venezuelan migrants stopping in. They should be so lucky as to get some migrants down there. It's farm country and they need people to spend money. It would be good. They could use a population boost, Austin. I, my, my family migrated 
from Germany to that very part of the country. So I would I would tend to agree with you. You're a southeaster. What neighborhood are you from down there? What what small town? My family is from a town called Altamont, where there's a Berg family farm that's been there for uh, more than 150 years. It's outside of Effingham. Is that soybeans and corn down that way? Sure is. <laughs> Incidentally, come February 1st, right, the migrants that are in Chicago have to leave shelters? Um, that was originally supposed to happen when they announced the deadline, but the deadlines, of course, as we all knew it would, have been extended. Pete's looking no, it up, well, but I think it's February 1st. I think it's it's coming up really soon, and and, and uh, there's been reporting. There's some reporting in the uh, I saw it in the Sun Times. I'm not sure where else it was, but that New York put in some of these deadlines, and it just was chaotic after they did that because it's like not like these people are like, well, let's stay in the shelter. There's all these other options, but let's stay here at the shelter because it's so nice. That's just not what's happening here. So these aren't people. I mean, they may be getting too comfortable there. They may not be looking hard enough. But you, if you these deadlines come up and they just push them out in the street in this cold weather, it's just not going to happen. So they're going to continue to push the deadline back. And that just makes everybody not take the whole thing seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't quite know. And then there's the issue of um, the mayor saying that we're not going to build any more shelters, we're not going to create any more shelter space, uh, which – I don't know what he's thinking here. I don't know what's what's supposed to happen with these. These are human beings who need a place to stay, and we got to figure something out. And kicking them out isn't going to do any any work, and, and refusing to provide shelter for them isn't going to work either. If we let them work, all of these problems would go away. If we could just say, hey, you can work for $15 an hour at the myriad of opportunities we have in the city – this would go away. Well, but that creates away. a incentive for people to just continue streaming through the border if everyone knows that all they have to do is get here, claim asylum, and they get a work permit. So it just doesn't seem to me to be a magic solution because it just continues the pull. Yeah, if you and if you look at in other sorts of... The fact that it is not being done in an orderly manner and that the border is completely in chaos uh, means that, yes, we should be encouraging as much as possible uh, people to contribute to communities and society through work and the dignity of work. But if you go to other countries that have experienced mass migrations, like for, like I was in uh, Colombia pre-COVID, and they had a very large influx of Venezuelan migrants in Colombia. And what's interesting about those two countries is that's gone back and forth. So in the days of Pablo Escobar, a bunch of Colombians left and fled to Venezuela. And then the rise of uh, Chavez in Venezuela and their economic, their horrific economic policies, they're coming back. And mm-hmm. many of those migrants could work legally in Colombia. But when you have people coming from really, really difficult conditions, experiencing serious trauma, uh, it's not going to be as though there isn't a cost of that um, and, and uh, uh, more resources needed for that. So work isn't the panacea, but it can certainly help. Pete just handed me this from Block Club Chicago, January 22nd. Mayor Brandon Johnson's administration has picked February 1st as the new date to begin evicting migrants from city shelters oh, okay. under an imposed 60-day limit to stays. It's the second time the eviction date has been pushed back in less than a week. But, Kate, it's only been pushed back as far as February 1st. 
Okay. The deadline comes as the city again shifts its strategy for sheltering migrants. According to city briefings, the city does not plan to create new shelters or add beds, but will work with churches and other groups to try to transition people to more stable housing. One more sentence, the state has vowed to add 2,000 beds for migrants, but it's unclear when that will happen or where the beds will be. That would be from the state. The average high temperature on February 1st in Chicago is 32 degrees. It's freezing. I just don't I don't see it. You're going to have fluctuations. You're going to have days that are in the 20s, and you're not going to – I mean, are they really going to say, okay – push you out with your kids and your sleeping bags and your tents and you're, you're out of here. It's not going to happen. We're not, that's not us. That's not Mayor Johnson. It's not the soul of Chicago. It's, yeah, yeah, it's right. not going to happen. It's just not, it can't happen. Right. Am I right? I mean, no, I, 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 I suspect you're right. Philosophically and also quite practically. I, I suspect you're right, Eric. I don't know. Is Brandon Johnson playing chicken with the federal government or playing chicken with Governor Pritzker? who you guys probably saw this week was like, well, you know, we, we've got money. We want to do stuff for Chicago, but Chicago won't even tell us where to build new shelters. So we can't do anything for you right now. It's just a ball being tossed around. Yeah, the plan, and this is another sort of game of chicken, uh, the plan that Brandon Johnson expressed on Monday and has been expressing to aldermen behind closed doors and small groups is that he will not be building more migrant shelters. And if migrants arrive in a landing zone, so where these buses are dropped off and there are no shelter beds for them, they will indefinitely stay in that zone, which is completely untenable. Um, <laughs> that's the, the zone is a bunch of buses. Uh, so that's not going to work. And J.B. Pritzker knows that's not going to work. And that's a huge black eye for him uh, ahead of basically uh, his all of his friends coming into his house for dinner for the DNC and him needing to put on airs and show everybody he has everything under control and he can be president. And then he has like rambunctious kids screaming and throwing paint and knocking over glasses. And that is what the dynamic is becoming between the mayor and the governor. And it's really bad for the city because they're not on the same page at all on this. You know, we talked yeah. to the attorney in Chicago who's representing Wind Transportation, one of the bus companies in Texas that's being used to bring the migrants to Chicago. And that bus company, with the services of the Chicago-based attorney, is suing the city, saying this is interstate commerce. You, as the city of Chicago, don't have the right to tell a bus company in Texas whether or not they can be hired to deliver passengers to X. You, it's not your purview. And they are suing the city while the city is executing fines or, or levying fines against the bus company. And the more the attorney talked, the more I thought, this guy's got a point here. As much as I'd like to see those buses confiscated and crushed down to the size of lunchboxes, and I'm happy to fine the bus company or the bus driver, do whatever we can to push back, send the message that you're not going to get away with this. I think as a legal matter, what the city council is doing, at least in that case, is probably not lawful. It's interesting to me that the federal government has not weighed in at all uh, based on the rhetoric that many people have used, which is that this is human trafficking, that these people have no idea where they're going. If there was a federal level lever to pull that said, you know, you can't just uh, send people unwittingly without their consent to different places, I figure that would have been pulled a long time ago. Um, and it's still actually not clear to me what when people say that, what is the actual legality in terms of uh, what you need in order to 
have a person on a bus and send them to another city. Yeah, I don't know the answer I, to that. I mean, they're not taking these people and putting them on buses and not telling them what's happening. I'm guessing that they're saying, hey, you want to go to Chicago? It's beautiful and sunny and there are palm trees there. And, and people go, okay. And they get in the bus because they want to get away from these. I mean, what must be a pretty difficult situation right on the border. I, I don't know that it, it's, it would rise to the level of kidnapping or human trafficking. But um, even that, Eric, can you imagine if, if I'm on the street saying, hey, I'm selling tickets to uh, Florida, it's the land of milk and honey and all your dreams will come true. Like there is some consumer protection, even at a most basic level. If they were to say, you know, it's fantastic or making claims that are totally false, wouldn't there be some legal avenue federally for them? Well, yeah, but they're not paying money for it. So it's not really consumer fraud either, right? It's like, hey, we, you know, we just, we, we lied to you about where, about how nice it is in Chicago, but we took you to Chicago and just, just didn't turn out to be a very nice place for you. I mean, I, I don't know. You could be right, but I, I, human trafficking to me is, is about profiting off people, about, about uh, you know, uh, prostitution and things like that, not, uh, not giving people bus rides to places that don't want them. But being know, awful I'm, is not against the law. Okay. We're out of time. Um, we'll have to talk about this next week. And, but maybe you guys could give me a headline on the 78th, that area of land between the Chicago River, the south branch of the Chicago River and Lake Michigan. There's this monstrous patch of green that is undeveloped and would be great for a new Sox Stadium. And Jerry Reinsdorf seems to be interested in it. And according to a statement today, Brandon Johnson seems to be interested in Reinsdorf being interested in it. Do you guys like the idea of the White Sox leaving where they are and moving to just south of the South Loop? Yeah, I, I, I guess I do like it. I don't want there to be a lot of public investment in it because we just shelled out 30 years ago for what's now guaranteed rate field. So I, I feel like this is, should not be a big taxpayer investment that if the private business wants to build a private stadium and, and run its business there, that seems like an okay thing to me. And I, and I think it would knit together you know, Chinatown and the South Side, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the South Loop, Chinatown, that whole, would just sort of expand the city south the way it has, has expanded north and northwest in, in, a, in a very favorable way. So, yeah, there's some really nice things to say about it. Kate, you like it? No, I hate it. Hate it, hate it. I'm a South Sider and I hate it. Um, it's better than having them move to St. Petersburg or wherever. Nashville. But I feel like that plot of land is going to get developed nicely somehow it will be because of just where it is it's a perfect location yeah but if they were talking about moving the cubs from all the way up in wrigleyville to an equivalent location closer to downtown we'd say why are they abandoning wrigleyville that's in the city that's not so far away Sox park is much closer to downtown than I'm pretty sure Wrigley Field, it's certainly not farther away. It is a hop, skip, and a jump to get there um, from downtown. It takes about two seconds on the L. Um, I just find it really infuriating as a South Sider that we're just throwing away Bridgeport. I mean, the near South Side is not good enough. Downtown needs to be revitalized. And the longer that we have these record high vacancy rates, the worse everybody else's property taxes get and the harder it is for the city to attract big investment. So I really like it and putting it close to the loop, I think is great. I would also accept a plan where they simply knock the stadium down and reorient it like 90 degrees so that the skyline is actually in 
the outfield, which seems like a huge missed opportunity whenever they <laughs> What a good idea. It's insane. It's insane. You're that. right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Now, yeah. My, my other thing is <laughs> let's just build a replica, but updated, of old, real Comiskey Park in the parking lot across the street, oriented to see downtown without as many pillars blocking the views as there used to be, and then build the arcade where the where cellular rate field or whatever the <laughs> Cellular rate I, field, yes. I, I, I don't one, keep up with the name changes. It's Sox Park, and that's it. I have one other suggestion, which is that I hope that if they do this, that they make it a dome stadium or a retractable dome stadium, that we need to have someplace where we can have major political conventions and tractor pulls and the NCAA finals and also the Super Bowl. I guess you couldn't, couldn't put that in a baseball stadium now that I'm thinking that. But, but uh, a dome stadium... Uh, for Chicago would be would be I think a, or a retractable dome stadium is really a must. Yeah, the one and no taxpayer money. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The one they're proposing would be less than forty thousand people. You know, the best view of Chicago from a baseball batter standpoint or a fan standpoint at a baseball stadium is the field at the University of Illinois Chicago. Looking over center field, you see the yeah, skyline. Yeah. It's gore. It's the great place to play baseball. If nothing else, let's just pick it up. And turn it 90 degrees. Well done, guys. There's more to say about this, but we're out of time today. Fellas, thank you. Kate, thank you. We are produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman, and I'm John Williams. We'll drop another podcast on you next week. Well done, guys. Zoom, zoom, zoom. I'll let you go, but uh, nice to see you and hear you. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com.